for a young kid, I, you know, you start out, you come from university and you, you start out making teas for people. It's literally, you're the tea boy running, getting sushi and, and like cleaning up studios in between sessions. And then you kind of slowly work your way up. And I worked my way up to the kind of assistant level where I was doing lots of backups in the studios at the end of the day and, and kind of looking after the, the library, as they called it, which is basically where all the projects for each of the studios were kind of stored. Podcast Junkies, welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran, episode 240. If you were new to this show, this is the one where we seek out interesting voices in podcasting and get them to kick back and talk about their shows, or in the case of this week's episode, their company, as it relates to the world of podcasting. In case you missed last week's episode, we had a great conversation with my friend Ronsley Vaz, podcaster, author, speaker, and founder at Must Amplify and the We Are Podcast Conference. It's a great conversation and it's incredibly inspiring to see just how far Ronsley has come in his podcasting journey. So make sure you check that out, episode 239. This episode's brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlet 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite, and the link will be in the show notes as well. This week, I speak with my namesake, Harry Morton. He's an entrepreneur, he's a podcaster, and he's the founder of Lower Street Media. He joins the show to discuss his entrepreneurial journey and background in the podcast industry. Not only are we both named Harry, but we're both in the same business. And at Lower Street Media, Harry works with content marketers and business owners to tell engaging stories through best-in-class podcasting. Harry discusses the importance he placed on building a network of other business owners and lessons he's learned throughout his process. He shares his thoughts on the industry and the trends he's observed recently, and he speaks to the challenges he faced producing his own podcast, WFH Daily. We have a fun, wide-ranging conversation about everything that's happening in the industry lately. I'm sure you'll enjoy this one. As always, full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 240. Let's not forget that this episode is also brought to you by Fullcast. Fullcast.co is the website. If you need help with any aspect of your show from launch to production and marketing, we can help. Schedule a free chat at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15 about your existing or new show. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. But for now, let's jump into a Harry speaking with Harry conversation. So Harry Morton, founder of Lower Street Media, thank you for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Thanks for having me, man. Good to be here. Do you ever see being John Malkovich? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We don't look so alike, I guess. (laughs) Well, for the benefit of uh, the listener, so we're both named Harry, both own a podcast production company. (laughs) And we're on a podcast where I talk to other podcasters and people in the podcasting industry. So there's a lot of self-referential loops happening right now. And it's like when you look in the... (laughs) It's like those fitting room mirrors where you see the three sides. And then if you you can position yourself correctly, you can see the reflection of your reflection of your reflection. That's kind of what it's like. Yeah. We're both wearing dark blue shirts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this probably would be more fun if and when we do have video available for... Yeah, that would be the so. only sort of way to distinguish us, I guess. <laughs> Date stamping this, we are recording this towards the end of September 2020, a year mm-hmm. I think that most people are already for it to be over. 
I think, <laughs> for various yeah, reasons. Yeah, just about. I'm ready for a break on 2020. <laughs> yeah. So how's it been for you since everything sort of hit the fan in March? It's been interesting. We saw, I guess, March, April, we saw quite a lot of clients kind of tightening their purse strings or whatever. And, yeah. and I guess, you know, my my big fear back then was, well, you know, marketing is often the first thing to go when when folks are worried yeah. about their expenditure. And, if you know, the, the big topic of conversation then was, you know, what's this effect what's the effect this is going to have on the economy. Mm -hmm. So uh, we lost a few clients. We lost, uh, I guess, maybe 30% actually in, in yeah. the space of a few weeks, which was kind of scary. Yeah. But then sort of not very long after that just soon kind of picked up and, and was replaced with a, a kind of new slate of clients here yeah. who are starting to podcast for very different reasons. Well, not very different reasons, but but they their sort of journey into podcasting has been accelerated because of what's going on. Mm. I think a lot of the companies we've worked with have been like, well, we don't have this conference to go to that we were sponsoring yes. and we, you know, our sales team can't go on these trips that we had planned. So, you know, what can we do that kind of works in a remote environment and uh, podcasting is obviously, you know, high on the list there. So it's actually worked out, dare I say it, quite well for us over the last kind of few months. So, you know, we've definitely seen kind of a, an uptick as a result. So it's it's been an interesting time as everyone yeah. I'm sure will <laughs> agree. And what changes had to happen for you personally? And are you, are you still living in the same place? Did you have to like <laughs> leave town? Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I'm super lucky. So we live here. It's a, a county called Somerset, which is in southwest of England. I'm about half an hour away from Stonehenge, which some people might have heard of. A big, you know, oh, yeah. pretty cool thing. So anyway, so we're in the country and we have been for like three and a half years, my wife and I, and, and our now son is um, 16 months old. And so we, we live out here and it's not had that much of a dramatic effect on our lives, if I'm honest. I worked from my attic office that you can see behind me here, or at least you, Harry, can see. No one else can, but... Yeah, I can vouch for it, yeah. <laughs> so I kind of have just hunkered down in my home office here and not much has changed. Uh, the cows are still kind of doing their thing in the fields out back and, you know, so it's not been too bad. Yeah, do you my actually wife, have cows that you milk? No, not my own cows. Sadly, they don't belong <laughs> okay. to me, but I get to look at them and okay. admire them okay. from a distance. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's real farm country where I live. So there's uh, a lot of kind of apples being grown for cider and a lot of cows being mm. grown for <laughs> milk and cheese. So it's a cool place to be. And, and I guess we're lucky because it's not like a super dense area. So getting outside and going for walks and stuff is kind of fine during COVID. And so we never really felt super locked down when it was yeah. at its worst here in the UK. Yeah. But yeah, certainly a lot of my friends and, and family in London and other cities have kind of experienced it a bit differently. So yeah, count ourselves lucky, I guess. Are you also seeing reports of the impact to cities? We're seeing it here. I grew up in New York, so I have a fondness and a, and a connection to the energy of that city. And, you know, I, mm -hmm. I literally grew up in Yonkers, New York, which is the, the first city outside of New York City. So it's Manhattan, New York City, Manhattan, the Bronx, Yep. If you go north and then Yonkers. So that was cool. where I grew up. And so as soon as I got my license, I was like, I want to go. Yeah, I right. was like, I think 17. I was just like making my way into the city. So it's, it holds a special place in my heart. But it's interesting to see the mix of, you know, restaurants that are taking over streets now. So now you have like a European cafe flair, which is really nice and amazing to see. Yeah, and then cool. on the other side, completely empty office buildings, probably at like 10% occupancy and Yep. Big, big companies. And I just saw like a wave of hotels closing as well. Just be, I mean, you, I can't even imagine what a mortgage payment on <laughs> some of those yeah. buildings must be for some of those companies. I'm wondering if you sort of seen the same ripple effects happening as well. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting. I mean, not to add to the John Malkovich effect, but like I, my story is similar in that I grew up, well, actually I grew up where I am right now, very close by. But when I was young, I was just like, I need to get to London. You know, as soon as I was 17, 18, I was like, right, I went to university in a different city and I was like, 
London, yeah. which I loved and spent many years there. Uh, so I haven't seen the effect firsthand in the city, but what I have seen since we've been here, like I said, for three and a half years, suddenly everyone's buying houses down here. So like all the people from London are kind of, well, not oh, all the yeah. people, many people are choosing to kind of find places like ours because they can have a backyard and they can go walking in the countryside and not be kind of restricted by the kind of uh, lockdown restrictions and stuff. So definitely can see that impact. And just on the kind of business community around here, like shops and, and stuff, it's just definitely having its effect. So yeah, and from what I'm hearing, the the situation is really the same in terms of huge, huge organizations in, you know, really well-established areas of London that have been kind of office hubs forever are now just like ghost towns, which is super weird to imagine. Yeah. And But it's the scale of organizations that are saying, actually, do you know what? We don't need to be in this huge office anymore. We're going to downsize and it's going to be like optional if you come to the office or or whatever. So it's, I don't know, man. In a year's time, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of, you know, where we're at and what the future of kind of work is, you know? The future of work, the future of commercial real estate, the yep. future of social gatherings. I Regular listeners will know that I'm a huge electronic music fan and would love to go to music festivals. And so right. you can't even yeah. do that. And so... Nope. Yeah. No outdoor. Yeah, the, the, At least the outdoor you know, well, there's, are... there's plenty of kind of like live streams on YouTube and stuff, but the atmosphere yeah. is not quite there, is it? I guess <laughs> you can't really have a party in no. your Definitely not the same thing. So when growing up outside of London and when you went to school, did you study? Were you thinking that you had aspirations to be somewhere in the production process, you know, in, in the industry somewhere? Yeah, I, I didn't know it was going to be podcasting, but I was definitely always like a, a music, I, you know, I was into electronic music too. I went to university to study music technology. So I was kind okay. of producing music and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And then my first job out of university was in a post-production studio in London. So I went to work for, for this company that mostly did kind of TV ads for, for, you know, the big agencies. And so we'd do kind of, yeah, insurance ads and toothpaste ads and all that kind of stuff. And it was, you know, an interesting time and got to meet lots of really interesting people, but also got a sense of like what the advertising industry is like. And it was for a young kid, I, you know, you start out, you come from university and you you start out making teas for people. It's literally, you're the tea boy running, getting sushi and, <laughs> and like cleaning up studios in between sessions. And then yeah. you kind of slowly work your way up. And I worked my way up to the kind of assistant level where I was doing lots of backups in the studios at the end of the day and, and kind of looking after the, the library, as they called it, which is basically where all the projects for each of the studios were kind of stored. But the pace of it was intense and, and the hours were pretty full on. And as a runner, as a junior guy, you were there from literally you were the one that opened the studio and then you were the one that closed the studio. So you're there from like 8.30 till 10, 11 at night, you know, pretty yeah. regularly. So it was it was a pretty interesting kind of experience. Definitely exposed me to a lot of stuff. Quickly realized it wasn't the environment for me and yeah, kind of moved on from there. But yeah, that was my, my kind of start. Any run-ins with famous uh, celebrities? <laughs> yeah, a few. We, who springs to mind? So we, we did, Helena Bonham Carter came in to do some voiceovers. Oh, we, nice. we had Damon Albarn came in to do, they actually did the, the sound effects for one of the gorillas music videos in the studio oh, for yeah. some reason, even okay. though it wasn't really their kind of wheelhouse, they did it anyway. And so, so seeing him kind of hanging out was pretty good. There was, you know, because it was TV advertising, you'd get celebrities doing voiceovers for ads all the time. So there was always someone <laughs> kind of interesting in there and you kind of were trying to make sure that you were the guy that delivered the sandwich so that you could go, uh, go say hi. You mentioned it's funny getting the tea thing. And I think if you've never been to the UK, you may not understand. And then it's obviously very common for people to, you know, to know that English people drink tea and, and that's common. But what I think we don't realize, and this is, when was this now? This probably would have been early 2000s. I, I got to go to the UK office, uh, the London mm -hmm. office for E-Trade when I worked for E-Trade. And mm -hmm. so and you would have 
there would be someone coming around with a, a tray of like actual cups, not plastic, not paper cups, <laughs> like literally like ceramic cups. And then people would be drinking tea and there would be all these tea cups like around the office. And then someone oh. would come around and clean them up. And I'm like, they really take their tea seriously. <laughs> it's a big deal. Like, you know, the, the role of tea boy in these offices, it might, it might seem like a junior role, but it is, it is crucial. Yeah. And kind of really understanding the the finer intricacies of, of what the process of tea making. And, and, you know, if someone says they want their tea, they want a builder's tea, then that means something different to, you know, your Earl Grey and the, you know, do you put the milk in first or the tea bag in first? Or There's a, a great art to this thing. And yeah, so we all take it pretty serious over here. Well, it's so funny because it's probably the American equivalent to the copy room guy who is like works his way up. Right. And then there's the, the stories of like the copy room guy who made his way to like the head of the uh, <laughs> the company. Exactly. I That's wonder exactly if there's it. like the tea runner. <laughs> probably I mean, pretty much like there. everyone that I worked with at the studio was a tea boy at one stage or other, apart from the, the guy who was the owner of the company because he, you know, came in yeah. and funded the whole thing. But literally everybody else had at some point been super junior. And that's just kind of how this industry works or that particular area of the industry, of the, the kind of post-production yeah. side of things, super kind of old fashioned. You just, you get in, you grind yeah. it out and you work your way up and it's it's cool. I think like, you know, while I didn't love every moment, it was super stressful and making tea isn't the most fun job in the world, despite the fact that it's <laughs> crucial as we've discussed. It really does. I think it's a really important thing for everyone to get a chance to do because you kind of really understand how business works from from the most basic level and you kind of you know even when you're just walking into a studio to drop off a sandwich it's the amount of insight you get into the kind of the working processes of these companies and businesses is super interesting so yeah it was i'm glad to have had the experience you know i'm glad it's over but i'm glad i had it <laughs> <laughs> and uh, do you have boys in your company now and sadly not. I wish I did. I'm here in my home office. I would love a tea boy to bring me up some tea, but sadly not. I have to go make my own lunch. That's funny. So you have to Life goals. dust off those uh, tea boy skills. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when did you first start to get or hear about podcasting? So it was around about that time, actually. I think the first podcast I listened to was the Ricky Gervais show. I don't know if you have heard it. It's the, the- Yeah. Oh, not the Ricky Gervais show, but I know Ricky Gervais. So, yeah. so Ricky Gervais, obviously pretty famous guy, but he had a podcast back in the day that was hosted by The Guardian. His background was actually in radio. He was in radio before he got into TV. And so his, he, yeah, he was onto podcasting pretty early and he had a show with Stephen Merchant, who's his like co-writer of The Office and all that. And this other guy called Carl Pilkington, who was their producer. And it was just a comedy show and it was hilarious and I loved listening to it. And that was actually my first kind of experience of podcasting. And it kind of just was a slow kind of discovery of the whole ecosystem system from there like that was my kind of gateway drug I guess and and I slowly kind of listened to more and more shows and eventually got into listening to business podcasts and and uh but it wasn't so that was must have been 2012 maybe 2010 and it wasn't until 2016 that I ended up kind of starting this business so it kind of took me a while to join the dots but but yeah so it's, it's never like a clean moment where you just have like a, an Edis Thomas Edison, like aha moment or something right, like that. Right, right, right. So I'm wondering, you're probably thinking like, I've got this skill set. This is something that I'm interested in. It seems like it's the same type of technologies like recording mm-hmm. and audio and editing. And so is that the thought process you went through? Because, you know, there, there are obviously entrepreneurs listen to the show and people thinking about right. taking that step. And I've talked a lot on this show about my entrepreneurial journey. So I'm always curious, you know, that idea idea of like, I think I want to go in business for myself or, Mm -hmm. you know, and people come 
and there are at various stages that some are the solopreneurs who have never worked for anyone yeah <laughs> or someone who started a lemonade stand when they were six years totally. old that's right yeah yeah, yeah. So, yeah i'd always wanted to get into business i'd always wanted to own my own company like there's you know a few entrepreneurs in my family and and i'd always just sort of i guess hated working for other people so i'd always wanted to do my own thing i can literally remember from being a kid at school i used to like buy skateboard magazines and then rip out pages with like the you know that were like posters and sell them for like 20 20p so i could go buy myself a bag of crisps or, or chips i guess <laughs> <laughs> so like i've always been kind of of that mind once i left that studio that job in the studio i went and ended up actually working in sales and marketing jobs for a couple of years and through that was able to travel and spent some time in australia and the us and, and all kinds of stuff during and so and that was during the time that i was discovering podcasts and really listening to a lot so i i think what had happened was this kind of combination of of my background in audio and production and understanding of that side of things and then my kind of growing skill set in sales and marketing and the understanding of just kind of business and you know I was doing b2b sales then so I was speaking to other companies all the time and kind of it was the sort of meeting point of those two things and when I came back from Australia I was working for a company in the UK for a, about a year and a half and I just realized I was what am I doing like I hate this thing I'm really not enjoying this job what am I going to do and and just decided to quit and start a business and to, I'd love to say that I had a fully formed business plan and knew exactly what I was going to do on that day but it was actually incredibly ill-advised uh, you know the that I took in quitting yeah. and, and starting a thing, but it, it was just what I had to do at that time. And I was, you know, 20s, what was I? Late 20s anyway. So there was, I, you know, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I was like, I, you know, if I don't do it now, I won't do it. So it took me, you know, a good six months to really figure out exactly what direction the, the company that I was going to create was going to be. So I wouldn't say there was like an aha moment, but it there was very much a decision of like, cool, I'll cut, cut off. This is the, the end of my kind of career as a salesman for other people. And this is the beginning of my kind of business ownership journey and yeah it's been a lot of fun very different and far more rewarding for me personally <laughs> and i'm sure yeah and i'm sure challenging in terms of up and downs i think it, i tell people right. it's the hardest thing i've ever had to do it's the, the most rewarding when it when yep. it's working and it's the most frustrating when it's not <laughs> yeah absolutely and also it's just the most engaging job i've ever had like i've never been more yeah. into what i'm doing than what i'm doing right now for a bunch of reasons, I think, because it's like what I've chosen to do. It's because I rely on it. It's like I can't rely yes. on my paycheck because like I make the paycheck. Yeah. So there's like a certain amount of kind of dependency, like you're doing it because you have to, but also just because it's you're just solving new problems every single day. And I find that super reward and kind of engaging. And the other thing is, as you start to add team members, the, the responsibility of like making sure <laughs> you're not only in business for yourself, but now right. the other people that you know sort of depend on, 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 exactly. on the lights thing on as well. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's not without its stresses, the, the, the knowledge that you're, you know, the paychecks for several other people. But also, that's a, that's a huge source of pride as well. And not, uh, you know, yeah, it's not a, it's, this is not a horn tooting session. But certainly, I think that's something that entrepreneurs do enjoy is, or, I, you know, I think should appreciate is the kind of is the fact that we're able to kind of create the livings for other people. I think there's, there's I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think there's some, I would remember reading stats about that here in the States, the Small Business Administration, there's, there's probably a similar organization in the UK, but mm -hmm. I think small business owners, and again, depends on how you define them, but they make up a very big population of the right. of the folks that actually employ. That's it keep people working so exactly and you know i'm making a minuscule dent in that and so it's not like you know this is not my ego is not inflated to the size that i think that i'm really important but i think it is it is just a, a cool thing to be able to to be able to do that and i think more people should do it basically uh, for, for that reason it, it's just a reminder of the cyclical nature of what happens like when when, when our clients pay us we in turn then can 
stay alive and <laughs> yeah. keep our business going and then do what we need to do. And we, you know, we, we inject that money back into the economy, into our, in right. our personal lives. But then by virtue of us having people on the team that we pay because they they take that money as well and they go back and they spend it and they go to the grocery store which gets to stay open which employs the clerk and it's you really think about you know what one paycheck has from a ripple effect i think people sometimes lose sight of that but i'm reminded of that every once in a while just how even with a small company and then if you take that and multiply that exponentially you can see how it's we're all sort of dependent on each other (laughs) to keep each other going yeah Yep, it's awesome. I love it. Do you have any organizations here in the States? It's And you've probably seen a lot of this from social media, but there's, there's a big push on the entrepreneurial community, like the Gary Vee school, depending, or you know Tim Ferriss. And, and sure. there were a lot of people who point to four-hour work week. So I'm wondering, one of the challenges for me when I left corporate is I, I didn't know anyone who had run successful businesses or, or considered entrepreneurs. And, and I joined a high-end like mastermind. I was paying like $1,500 a month US mm. to, for a coach. But I was just completely eye-opening because I saw these people making you know, six figures, seven figures with a remote team. And it just sort of blew my mind mm-hmm. at the time. So I'm wondering if there's any support groups where you're at and or other entrepreneurs that you speak to because it, it tends to get lonely at times because we talk about the same stuff. So right, totally. To commis- commiserate, I, yeah. Yeah, I'm huge. And so when I started my company, I had I had zero network. Like I didn't, I came to it with absolutely nothing. So every client I've found, it's through, you know, hustle and, and, you know, cold outreach to start with. And then slowly we've built up some reputation and stuff like that. So for me, it was really important from the very beginning to kind of build a, a personal network of other business owners. So yeah, having a network of other business owners was super important for me from the day, from day one. And I kind of really sought that out really. So the, the first place I started was by going to conferences. I went to MicroConf in Europe a couple of times and met my first kind of group of friends that formed a, a, a mastermind through that. I went to DCBKK, which is a, a conference in Bangkok for kind of location. Dynamite Circle. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's for kind of location independent entrepreneurs. That was yep. another kind of great intro. And eventually a couple of years ago, I decided to start an event of my own actually to kind of try to bring together folks like this as, as a kind of, I, I wanted to rather than just kind of be a passive member of the community, I wanted to try and you know, help it along and make more of a community that I wanted to see. So, because I was, a, I'm a huge fan and very active in both those communities still. So, I started an event called Single Track, which is singletrackconf.com if anyone's interested. But it's all about mountain biking. It's like a mountain biking founder retreat. So, it's like a very small event. We have 12 people each year. We head into the mountains in Andorra and we go mountain biking for a week. And it's effectively just like a three day mastermind for, mm. for, for online business founders. And that's been huge. We have a, a Slack group where we kind of check in with each other and they kind of, uh, stay active there and and then we were due to be on either this september we were supposed to be in andorra but sadly lockdown has kind of made that not possible so we'll uh, we'll be doing it again next year instead but that's been awesome i think just anything you can do to kind of cultivate community and not like you said like not feel alone in this and share ideas mm-hmm. and, and get inspiration from people you know like i said i started this i was networking from the very beginning and, and i was coming from absolutely zero so i'm by far the kind of junior of the group and i surround myself with people that are kind of have much more successful businesses than i do and that's uh yeah. that's just amazingly helpful to kind of bounce ideas off people that are way smarter than you and have lots more experience than you has been invaluable so yeah and how do you think that that's changed the way you think about your business? Because I think when we're in it and we're, we, mm. we get so in the day to day, the saying here is that you spend 
more time working on your business versus in your business. Right. And so I'm wondering how you think about that and what lessons or takeaways you find from having those conversations with people that are, you know, have been doing it longer or have had more success and how that inspires you. Yeah, totally. I mean, a lot of the time it they give me advice to just be more gutsy a lot of the time. Like it's just like, hey, like, you know, this is working, this isn't work. Just make that higher or spend that budget on X. Yeah. Just kind of giving yourself the justification to know that, that that you're not dumb for thinking that that's what you should do with your, you know, it's just like a sense check a lot of the time. Like so many of the times, yeah, yeah. you know, usually as business owners, we know what we need to do. It's just, it's a scary thought to do it sometimes. And so if you can go to kind of a group of people that you trust and say, hey, look, I'm thinking about doing this, what do you think? And then they can kind of say, yes, but, or no, but mm -hmm. that's just oh, yeah. super, super helpful. One thing I've started doing recently actually is I've done a, a newsletter, but a really kind of small private newsletter, which I send to a group of a handful of people. I think it's like six or seven people who I've met along the way and really trust and value their opinion and have a huge amount of respect for. And I'll just send like a monthly investor email each month. I don't have any investors and you know, none of these people uh, are, are kind of have a vested interest in the business, but I kind of, it gives me a bit of accountability every month. I'm like writing yeah. to my pretend investors about what's going on in the company and and what's coming up and they kind of quite often i don't you know i don't i don't ask them to do it but quite often they'll they'll come back with sort of thoughts and advice around stuff that's going on right now and i think that's been a, a, just such a useful exercise because it's like a really good way of just making sure you you know where you're headed and what the plan is and what you need to get done in the next month and then you get some advice from, from some really smart people so it's, that's a yeah, it's really exercise i can recommend really really good i'll probably borrow that one just in terms of the practice to talk about yep it's interesting thought exercise to to talk about your business as if you are accountable to a board of directors yep, and providing totally. updates because you know when it's just you in the meeting and you're just like hey harry how yeah. are you doing harry we're good harry all right good everything yeah, is good exactly. harry, yes onward <laughs> totally and i've seen i've been on the receiving end on that because there's a couple of companies now that i'm advising and you know there are putting that structure into place, that reporting, and I see the value when I receive it. So it just makes sense, yep. you know, to just think about it. I, I think I always uh, like the example, and, and someone probably told me this once to operate as if your company is bigger in terms of some of the things and some of the practices and having come from corporate, there was a lot of good examples of like weekly reporting metrics on your, you know, tracking your metrics, you know, seeing what you have you're doing for your in terms of your annual goals and how you're meeting them and i think we do, we just started implementing daily huddles for the team as well so cool having the discipline to stick to that even if it seems like we're repeating ourselves on the calls but i think it's just once you get the team on board sometimes i overthink and i'm like oh this is too much but then the team gets value from it and i'm like okay so totally. i gotta get out of my own way <laughs> right that's exactly right. Yeah, completely agree. For me, yeah, it's like any form of accountability you can give yourself, I think is really helpful. And yeah, and that process is just really good for kind of clarifying my thinking on a monthly basis. You know, I'm just like, okay, where was I at a month ago? Where did I think we'd be now? Mm -hmm. How are we doing on, on those axes that we've kind of planned out for and what needs to be changed to make sure that we get on track? So yeah, it's awesome. So how do you think about what's happening in the industry? How much do you follow given, you know, that is the business? And is it as important in terms of understanding what's happening trend-wise? You know, we keep seeing companies getting funded. Mm -hmm. My go-to is probably pod news at this point, simply sure. just because it's the best roll-up. <laughs> Definitely. And some of the Pacific content stuff is, is good as well. So I'm wondering how much of a finger you keep on the pulse as it's required and what's interesting you lately. Yeah. So I try to, I listen to pod news every day and, uh, or I try to listen to pod news every day. I listen to every episode. It's just, I sometimes bunch, I <laughs> cram a load of them in while I'm in the shower on a Friday yeah. or something. 
but uh, so I definitely listen to that as my go-to as well. A- anything that Dan Meisner and Steve Pratt put out at Pacific Content is always gold. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if there are any other newsletters I listen to. There's, you know, obviously Hot Pod and Inside yeah. Podcasting. I sort of dip in and out of those as per. I've been really enjoying Tom Webster's newsletter. I don't know if you've checked that out, but couldn't highly recommend that. He's got a, okay. uh, what's it called? What's that newsletter? Substack. Substack. He's yeah. got a Substack yeah. thing. And so that's awesome. I really enjoy that. So yeah, I try to keep a pulse on what's going on. And it's for a couple of reasons, I guess. It's to make sure that we're doing everything we can for our clients, always trying to stay on top of like the latest developments technologically and platform wise and geography wise. You know, for example, we're, we're launching a new show with a client at the moment. And we've just sort of really seen this, you know, a, a large emerging market in India. I mean, in lots of places, but, but India is one of them. And, you know, in their specific case, they have a real opportunity to kind of make some content that kind of fits that market. And and I think it's by staying on top of, you know, developments that we can kind of spot those opportunities and, and help our clients with them and, and stuff like that. So for that reason, but also just because I'm really interested in the podcasting space and yeah, I'm always interested in what opportunities are coming around the corner for us as creators, whether it be making shows for clients, making shows for our own editorial content, which we're thinking about where we're planning right now and looking to start at some point and all that kind of stuff. So I'm yeah, I try to stay up to date, not terribly organized with it all, but I do try to. I think the things that I'm really excited about at the moment is, well, I mentioned those those kind of emerging markets. I think that's a really interesting one at the moment. I think yeah. platforms like Spotify are really kind of opening up some places that have until now been just not on people's radar. And I think if you're a content creator that, you know, that has something to offer to markets like South America, you know, like India, you know, like Germany and France and, and all these places. If we look at, I mean, you know, for example, we, you can look at the the places where Apple have just made recent hires editorially mm. and that kind of shows you where the markets are kind of popping up. And so those are really yeah, kind of interesting point. things. I think as content creators, we can say, okay, well, clearly there's a growing audience here and actually 90% of content is speaking to audiences in New York and LA. Like what else, what would an audience in Bangalore want to hear that, yeah. that maybe they're not getting from what's out there already? So I think that's really interesting. I think the current situation, no one is commuting or at least far fewer people are commuting. We're really seeing a change in the way that people are consuming content, the kind of content they're consuming and when they're consuming it. And I think that's like, that's just something that's really interesting to think about in general and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, think about how not only for the client shows that we're producing, but yeah, other ideas, like what opportunities are out there off the back of that. I think that's super interesting. One thing that I think is coming from that, and not only that, but also the sort of increase in maybe smart speakers that's a the, the jury's out on that one but but in car audio <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that you know we're seeing yeah. an increase in that i think that the result is that there's just more and more need for for kind of short form content and daily content so those that's some areas that i'm really really interested in we've we've experimented mm-hmm. recently we've launched our first ever show called wfh which is it started off as a daily show it's now three days per week but it's yeah. all focused on remote work and how to adapt to to this new kind of working from home environment. But that was really launched. And that's an internal show or just a show you're doing for a client? No, that's just, that's our own, own internal content. Okay. And it's just been really, we've done that as an experiment to try a few things. We've, we wanted to try daily and that was really interesting. We've now gone three days per week because that's kind of what our audience wants and we can make sure the quality is better. But it was, yeah, and it was also an experiment in short form stuff. So each episode is 10 minutes or less. And it's been really, really cool to kind of experiment with that format and see what works and what what doesn't and what resonates and what gets picked up and what gets noticed by the Spotify's and the Apple's and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, those kind of changing needs that listeners have and the changing behaviors, I think is really interesting to see what impacts that's having on content and what opportunities we as creators can, uh, can start try and grab from those basically. Is, have you done a show either before you started the agency or while you're starting it that was 
your personal show or is this the one of the first times? No, this is the first time I've ever hosted a podcast okay. <laughs> is on WFH. So yeah, I'm really kind of a <laughs> bit of a noob in that respect, which is kind of hilarious when you think about it. We produce shows for clients all every day, but uh, I've never been behind the mic before. So mm. yeah. So talk a little bit about the different challenges and your thought process, because being obviously behind it is different when you're actually the talent. Yeah, for sure. The main challenge with this show is consistently coming up with quality content because three days, well, we daily was really challenging and three times a week is still very challenging in terms of making sure that you've got a constant pipeline of people to speak to or stories to discuss and that you can do so in a, in a keeping the quality high. So that's been a huge challenge and, and kind of working with the team to clarify that process. Basically, as a host, I've improved a lot, well, I hope I've improved. <laughs> I believe I've improved. My experience has improved. I can tell you that much. Yeah. I enjoy it a lot more than I did to start with because, you know, it used to take me 17 takes just to do a 30 second intro, but now I can kind of get through it in one or two takes. So I'm definitely getting there. And, but you know, I, well, you can hear me speaking. I babble and I, um, and I are, and I stutter <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm a terror. I'm the kind of, I'm an editor's worst nightmare. Yeah. So that's definitely something I'm working on, you know, it's, yeah, it's definitely a different challenge. You know, I, it was very easy to sit in the editor's chair and rip my clients apart for saying, oh my God, can this guy <laughs> yeah. please just speak a coherent sentence? And then yeah. here I am waffling like an absolute buffoon, but I'm working at it. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm always reminded of it because I've had Podcast Junkies since 2014. And I in the beginning, I did everything. So that's how I learned like every single aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to outsource as much of it as possible. And so I'm in, in a bit of medium or middle ground now. But I still have to record my intros and outros. And even then, I'm just, I feel like I should be better at it because I feel, feel sometimes my clients are better at it. Or they don't have to worry about it. They just do their one take and they know that it will, will fix it up. Exactly. So. That's right. Yeah. And I think it's interesting having a show because it sort of keeps you have that finger on the pulse of speaking to an audience, I think is that's been helpful for me just to kind of feel like you're talking to someone out there in the podcasting space. And even if it's just a little bit of a following that you get, totally. I think it's it's been enjoyable to see just you have a core group of people that listen to it. And then you'll know you're making progress when you miss an episode and, and someone like sends you a message on social and you're right. like, hey, where's the episode? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. That, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. And, and and I think as agency owners, podcast agency owners, I think it helps keep us honest in terms of what we're doing, right? Like it's, you know, I talked yeah. about reading pod news and making sure that we're doing all the technical stuff that we need to, to keep our, our clients shows up to date. Well, actually, if we're mm -hmm. practicing that firsthand, then we're going to have a much better understanding of it in order to do a better job for our clients. So I think yeah. it's been really valuable in that respect as well as just like actually eating the dog food as they say and, and yes. actually, you know seeing <laughs> the process food, yeah. seeing the sausage as it's made and experiencing that whole process all the way through so that we can really make sure like we're not just talking junk when we give advice to our clients it's like this is first-hand experience yeah so, yeah i think that's been helpful so at a high level, you know, given that this is what the company, you know, Lower Street does on a day-to-day -day basis, what are some takeaways? Because there's always, you know, lots of podcasters also listening to the show as well. So sure. people just getting started. What are the common things that you see or maybe the the changes that you can put into place in terms of shows that you've launched or are launching that have the biggest impact? To improve the quality of the show. Yeah, to improve the quality of the show. I mean, the first thing is research and planning. It's that pre-production piece. And this is something that we're increasingly doing for clients now. So they're not just kind of going off and recording their interview and then sending us the raw audio. It's We're working closely with them from start to finish. So we're saying, cool, these are the guests that we've got lined up. We'll do some background research on that client. We'll plan the episode and really think about, okay, what, what's the beginning, middle and end of this episode going to be? Not just 
great. You guys go talk about, I don't know, LinkedIn outreach strategy and have a good 45 yeah. minute conversation. And we'll edit something out of it. It's instead thinking, how do we structure the questions in the interview so that it, it produces a much better product? I think that's like the number one way you can improve the quality of your podcast. I think it's just doing that pre-production and really kind of structuring things intentionally. The next step beyond that, that we're doing more and more of is then once we've edited that, that content is then thinking about how we can use narration to help move the story forward, how we can use narration to to actually summarize some of the stuff. So for example, I waffled on at the beginning of this episode about my background, which uh, may be interesting to about 0.5 people, but <laughs> but maybe with a bit of narration, yeah. you could say, well, Harry started out here, you know, and you could tell that story in 30 yeah. seconds and not have to listen to me kind of jabber on. So that's one thing that we've been doing is because that, that helps keeps the, keep the episode shorter and tighter, more succinct. It injects more of the personality of the host and so using kind of scripting in that way kind of really helps to move the story forward. So I think those are the biggest things that we've seen at the moment is doing pre-production and really planning your content in advance and then thinking about ways that you can use narration to to help move the story along and really keep the, the listener super engaged. So, yeah. And for those of you listening that expect that I might give that a shot <laughs> in a future Podcast Junkies episode, don't hold your breath because I think <laughs> it's for a me lot what's of been helpful is the, <laughs> the conversational nature. Yeah, and totally. I think what's important also for people that are producing shows or maybe want to think about doing more work in the production space is the the skill set for someone that can do that, that production aspect of it. Because, you know, when you think about the different uh, positions or the, the different roles, and I'm thinking now about how Podchaser has all those different credits you can add right. to a show. Like you're the producer, you're the editor, you know, you're this, I don't know if they've added showrunner, but you know, what you're describing, it really lends itself to more of a, a producer Correct. with, yeah. you know, for the show, kind of thinking about it. They have to be familiar with the, what the client is capable of, the host is capable of, that you have the raw content needed to create that much. And you probably need maybe twice as much raw content to get down to like, right. you know, uh, half of that or that. Thinking about storytelling so that you'll need some storytelling skills. For sure. And then how to, you know, overall guide the editor on what you want done. It's not an... It's almost like a unicorn type role in terms of someone who can manage all those moving parts and then think about what that final product would sound like. Absolutely, yeah. And then, and also in the kind of pre-production stage of it, it's really thinking about what, how does this episode plan that I'm making, how am I structuring this interview so that it feeds into the sort of broader content strategy of this show? So like, what's yeah. the point of this show? Why does this business have this podcast? How can we make sure that each yeah. episode delivers on that goal? And that's where the pre-production and the planning really kind of plays in because you're not just kind of trying to make a really engaged conversation you're trying to make a really engaging conversation that is contributing to that broader sort of sure. content strategy but i agree yeah that producer role is has been hard to hire for like it was kind of just yeah. me doing it and i was like okay who can i get to kind of help me do this and yeah, yeah. there's loads of really talented producers and writers out there and it's yeah we're lucky to work with uh, a couple of them that are doing really great stuff yeah a unicorn is it's not far wrong they're kind of it's not your standard kind of audio editor i guess yeah talk a bit about how you've grown as a business owner I have really gone through a bit of a journey over the last, uh, well, I was going to say seven months, but wow, the, the year's kicking on. So I guess from December last year, I really made mm -hmm. a decision to, well, two things happened. The first thing happened was my wife and I had our, our first baby in May of last year, 2019. My wife is Australian. So we went to, to live in Australia for three months when our son was six months old. So we went from November to mm -hmm. January to spend time with her family and all that kind of stuff. That was a real challenge as a business owner because I was suddenly changing, flipping my my time zone right on its head. And so, you know, the, oh, yeah. the business had to be capable of managing without me effectively because I wasn't going to be present time of day that I was going to be needed. So 
I worked really hard to put some people into place to sort of allow that to happen and did kind of work and my workload sort of drastically decreased. And then in December, I sort of made the decision to take some of those people on full time and they're now kind of full fledged members of the team. And so this year, 2020 has really been about, in terms of my personal growth as a business owner, it's been about stepping back from the day-to-day work in the business and being more of a manager than a than a producer. That's been hugely challenging and really interesting. And what I've found is it, that's basically freed me up to be more creative in terms of the kind of work that we can do. And so like I've mm. talked about these sort of writing narration and yeah. doing sort of more NPR style production. That's allowed us to me to sort of focus on how can we do that as a business. That then in turn has sucked me back into the business again. And there I am working really heavily inside it. And so now I'm trying to remove myself again. So that's kind of the journey I'm on at the moment is like, how do I empower the team to kind of handle things without me and focus on growth of the company and and basically just continue to do that in a sort of cyclical way. Right now, I feel like deep in the weeds and working through how our processes work around these new services that we're offering and onboarding new clients really heavily and obviously running sales. I I still will continue to do sales for probably a long time. But but yeah, once those processes are done and I feel really confident the team can handle it without me, then it'll be kind of removing myself again and then moving on to the next thing. So that's that's kind of my my place right now. That's my job. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that you realize your entrepreneurial journey just keeps changing and morphing. And I think you have to make a decision as a business owner, like how big you want to play or how big you want to get and where you, you know, if you're comfortable, you know, being a solopreneur or having the one or two employees, or if you have visions of, you know, making this into something big, and there is a big step. Um, I'm working with a coach named Alex Sharfin, and he talks about the different level when you're about, you know, you're trying to get to that first 100,000 in annual revenue. And then the 100 to 300 is another you know, just range where the different set of challenges, then you have to you know, start to get challenges around lead gen and you're starting to build a team. And then the 300,000 to a million is a huge jump. Mm. And then another set of challenges, because then you start to rely on the team to support you. And, and then it goes million to three million, three to five. And it's fascinating. He calls it the billionaire code, just to kind of see like how he has it mapped out, because you have different challenges for each step of the your, the journey along the way. And, and probably a gut check at each one to say, okay, I've crossed that threshold. Yep. Am I content here? Or do, <laughs> totally. Do I understand what it's going to take, you know, to get to that next level? I think about that a lot. I think that about that a lot. I'm at kind of one of those inflection points now. And so it's just a case of how big do do you want to go? How big can you go without kind of breaking the system, you know, and having to completely reinvent it again? Or, you know, I don't have any intentions of selling my business. I love what we do. And all I would like to do is maybe start other businesses that complement it, you know, alongside mm-hmm. it and kind of and do things like that. So my intention isn't to sell. However, I think it's always a healthy way to think about business is how can I structure this in a way that makes it really appealing for buyers? Because if I can make something that is a sellable asset, well, firstly, that's just a benefit in case one day I need to sell it for some reason. So it's good to have that, but also it just means it's probably inherently a great business to own and it's running the way that it should do. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about all the time is it's like, how big do I want to make it? And how do I make sure that if I do scale it, it still, it doesn't, it can scale without me basically. Do you know what I mean? So that I'm not sort of so heavily involved that I could never sell it because it's, reliant on me in order to you know for that paycheck to continue coming in yeah that's one of the the tests they have you do i don't know who they is by the way but (laughs) (laughs) they always ask like is the business dependent on you because when people potential people down the line and if they offer you the right amount obviously everyone is interested but what they're looking for is if they pull you out of the business does the business fall apart (laughs) right exactly or does it keep going so that's that's a really important marker for sure yeah 
What's something you've changed your mind about recently? Oh, good one. What's something I've changed my mind about lately? I don't know that I've got a good answer for that. It doesn't have to be podcast related either. So Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think as broadly as possible. How long you can survive indoors? How long you can survive indoors? <laughs> no, I think to the point we're discussing, I think one thing I've changed my mind about lately is the size of business I'm comfortable making. I think when I first started mm. out, I remember I, I did the Tim Ferriss kind of like, can't remember what the exercise is called, but it's where you kind of list out your kind of dream paycheck and, yeah, and like yeah. everything you need in order to do all the stuff that you want to do. Yeah. You know, I remember doing that and my dreams being so small when I look back at them now, because I far surpassed where I, where I started. Like I was like, if I could just yeah. make X thousand dollars a month, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be set. Yeah. And I, I sailed past that a while ago. And so the, the bar shifts, but similarly about a year ago, I thought to myself, okay, how big do I want this business to be? And I was like, okay, what would it mean to have a, you know, a business that's turning over more than a million dollars a year, a million pounds a year. And actually the thought of that terrified me like as i thought it i was just like wow that sounds so scary just the number mm. it was just intimidating to me and so so i decided then and there right okay i'm not going to make a business that big i'm going to shoot and make a business that's like three quarters of a million and i'll just tap out there i think something i've changed my mind about now is that actually that's not the case i think i'm comfortable with but basically it's not about my comfort or what i'm comfortable with i think what i mean is that actually the more you get to learn about business and, and the way that it scales is really nothing changes. It's just the number of zeros changes. I'm sure there's lots of people with far more experience than me that are shouting down their headphones <laughs> saying, shut up, Harry, you're talking absolute rubbish. But, you know, of course, there's lots of things that change organizationally and the way that you strategize and the way that you have to generate leads and so on. But as a business owner, you're just working on the next challenge. And so I yeah. used to be intimidated by what having a big organization meant, but that just means I will have grown to that next stage. So I think something I've changed my mind about recently is what I'm personally capable of as a founder, which seems rather introspective and ego based, but off the cuff, that's the best I can come up with. Sorry. <laughs> I figured out one other thing I've, I've changed my mind on that's maybe a bit snappier and, uh, okay. and, and more useful. Sure. Social media. I used to think social was really important for growing a business. I, what I've realized is that that's just not true at all. I think mm. to grow a business, it's so easy to look at everything and look at what everyone else is doing on social. And you're like, cool, I've got to build an audience. I've got to build an audience. But actually, as my network has grown of people that I've met at these conferences and events, and, and I know other entrepreneurs, there's people out there with amazing businesses that just have zero presence on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, oh, yeah. and they're just going yeah. completely under the radar. And it's just something that's so easy to get caught up in. And I've been in that rat race the entire time, not making much progress. And actually what I've just recently decided and realized is that it just, it doesn't, it's not necessary. So yeah, I'm trying to take, that's trying good. to take a step back. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? that I'm a full grown adult and not 12 because I look <laughs> incredibly young and like a sort of young Harry Potter. So that's probably the most misunderstood thing about me. Yeah. It's so funny when, when you tell people your name and you want to make sure that they understood you or, or maybe their English is not their first language. I don't know about you, but I'm like, yeah, my name is Harry, yeah, like Harry Potter. Yeah. And they're like, okay. I get it. Yeah, I, I, it's, <laughs> so I'm wondering if that's your go, your go-to reference. Yeah, it's, it's either the, the wizard or the prince is what I say, you know? <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> you know, whichever direction you want And then go. inevitably, like when you meet people in, in conferences or bigger gatherings, they're just like, oh, like, a, hopefully I'll remember your name. And I'm like, picture me with like a Harry Potter cap yeah. on. And they're like, okay, got, got it. Yeah, they don't, they don't even have to do that with me because <laughs> I've got the round glasses. I just need the scar on my forehead and I'm set. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, uh, from one Harry to another, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to chat. And uh, it's super 
geeky podcast about podcasting and we have a pod and a specific episode where we just shoot the shit about podcasting and even better that we're both uh, named harry so (laughs) thank you uh for for spending some time yeah and so where's the best place for folks to learn more about uh, lower street and to connect with you uh for the places you are on social (laughs) yeah right i mean i still am everywhere try not to check it twitter is where i do occasionally do some stuff i'm not trying to build an audience but that's where i hang out so you can find me at podcast harry everything we're doing as a company is at lowerstreet.co probably the best place to find us well i appreciate you coming on and sharing your your, a little bit of your story as well with with our audience thanks harry yeah thanks man appreciate it thanks again to harry for coming on the show always much appreciated and uh, appreciated the opportunity to actually talk shop as well full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 240 intro and outro music composed by cedar and soil check out his wide-ranging list of music at cedarsoil.com don't forget to check out our sponsor Focusrite and their awesome line of gear specifically the scarlett 2i2 pro podcast production and marketing provided by fullcast sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15 don't forget to tune in next week for my conversation with sky pillsbury friend of the show writer and podcast host and if you've made it this far, you're no doubt looking for this week's retention hashtag. Let's go with hashtag Lower Street Harry. Tag us at podcast underscore junkies and Harry at podcast Harry. It's a lot of Harrys. <laughs> Thanks for all you do to support the show. Talk to you guys next week.